0: Hello, this is Catherine with Friendly Anarchism. So before we start this show, I wanted to say that there were times during the interview that I displayed bad allyship. What we're going to do with that is model one of the fundraising techniques that we talk about in the, in the interview called the Gig gegen Rechts model, where you make oppression backfire by putting a dollar amount on every time... Somebody does something racist. So when we're going through the show, I'm going to be counting every time that I display bad allyship. At the end of the show, I'm going to count it up, and then all the white people in the audience pledge a certain dollar amount for every time that I displayed that. Uh, Suggested donation is $1. If you can't afford that, $0.25 or $5 or whatever it is that you'd like to do. All right, here we go. Hello, welcome to Friendly Anarchism. This is Catherine. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Aneka. I'm from a group here called the So Just Collective. And what do you do? Um, Mostly our work focuses on centering the people of color in our communities across multiple intersections. Um, We do a lot of awareness building in the community and... I personally try to like do community building and get people together. Like, I want to start. I want to start building groups within our community that can actually do real help, especially to to help out people of color in our community.
0: What does that look like on the ground? Building community, like on a day to day basis, what kind of actions does that entail?
1: Um, it entails groups of people to like. Go out and educate their friends on struggles of people of color, and it involves specifically white allies doing that legwork like, because, mm-hmm. like, we already do the work of like having to deal with this and navigate through it every day, especially in such a ridiculously racist place like Eugene. Yeah, which not only is there like daily interpersonal racist experiences but there's a whole institution and history of racism here because this being like a place with a huge huge kkk presence like um the few bu- the buildings at u of o the building at u of o named after uh i think it was a grand wizard
0: is that dd hall um
1: uh-huh. I don't remember the name of it, but I should know that because I'm also going to U of O next term. Um, <laughs> there was a, there was a
0: whole thing about DD Dee Dee Hall, so I think it was yeah.
1: I think we- DD was the was one of the people who signed the Oregon Constitution into law. Um, the but the Oregon Constitution was the piece of paper that was like, "Hey, black people aren't allowed to live here," so. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, not not great.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's definitely on my shit list, even though he's been <laughs> dead for a little bit.
0: <laughs> um, it's so interesting. People from outside of Oregon see Oregon as this, like, liberal haven and are surprised to find out that there is so much racism here. Um, you know, people, I've heard liberal friends say that yeah. Um. Let me start again. <clears throat> like, Al Jazeera came here, chose Portland and Eugene to do their story on rising hate crime in America because of how bad it is here, and people are really surprised to find that out. Like, people think that this I-5 corridor all the way up here is, like, very progressive and blue.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing. It is progressive and blue, Is but progressive and blue doesn't mean safe. Progressive and blue m- means um groups of especially in the, within the context of the politics in the United States we are very 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 far left like even what we consider to be are sorry we're as a country we're very very far right um but people seem to think that whenever there's a group of people shifting a tiny bit to the left not even like Not even anywhere close to the leftist part of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Just moving a tiny bit left, they consider it progressive and a big deal. And some people even consider them radicals. Which is (laughs) honestly really wild to me. (laughs) But Yeah. yeah, so that's the thing. Progressive and blue still upholds the United States... As a violent institution. Because that's what it is. It's a violent state. Mm-hmm. Um, by upholding the United States, they're upholding the genocide of Native people. And they're upholding the oppressive power structures that hold a lot of people of color down. Yeah. So, blue, red. I I really don't like... You know those like pseudo rebellious, pseudo aware Facebook images? There was like what? Like the, um, I don't even know how to describe them. It's just like the ones where they like seem really like they're trying to sound extra woke, but they're just like hella centrist. (laughs) Like it's like those like middle ground whatever centrist posts. Anyways, there was one that actually resonated pretty well. Yeah. And it was, um, the right wing and the left wing belong to the same bird. Ah. And. I like that. Yeah, it's true. Like.
0: But they probably meant it like we're all one. Yeah. And then.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But. (laughs) But yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like the U.S. Like it doesn't matter if you are a U.S. right winger or a U.S. left winger like you're still upholding a violent institution that kills people like me. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like there seem the part of what I want to do is kind of deconstruct that um parallel that people draw between being a blue state and being actually progressive right because like blue doesn't mean anything it just means that people voted a certain way but like you can mark anything on a piece of paper yeah and like that piece of paper is still part of what's upholding structures that hurt people like me yeah so that's the first thing um also it's because Nobody really wants to, well, (laughs) specifically white people, don't want to acknowledge the power that they've been given and the power that they've historically held, like, the KKK. The KKK is just, like, a physical manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. It's white violence, literally personified, and... White people don't want to acknowledge that, so nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. Because so many people are so centrist that they won't even acknowledge that these groups exist. Which is part of the problem.
0: Yeah, people think of racism and the KKK and fascism stuff as stuff that's, like, early 20th century and is gone now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like, no. (laughs) They've... No. No. A lot of them have taken off their masks and... They're just here. they're everywhere. they There were a bunch of, actually a bunch of police officers who were outed as clansmen here. And yeah, and nothing happened.:
0: When did that happen?
1: Uh, I think it was about two years ago.
0: Ah, uh, cops.
1: Yeah, which is a whole other story. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> no, they they're
0: they suck. They're <laughs> bastards. They they're yeah, they're bad. Um I yeah, I mean people don't know. I mean the stories are hidden and suppressed and whatever. People don't believe that there is police brutality in their own communities. It's, you know, it's like police brutality is getting more well-known in if you're, are you okay to talk about this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's gonna be. It's just. A, I know. It's. It's a can be a really emotional subject. I Just want to check. Oh in. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. With Black Lives Matter, ex- helping expose police brutality in America, I think there's a more, a wider understanding or acceptance in some ways of the fact that it actually exists. As, you know, but I feel like everyone sees it as it's other places. You know yeah, like no and matter where kind of, you're at, it's still not there. It's other other places.
1: Yeah, they kind of put this buffer up, yeah, that to separate themselves from the reality of police brutality, like they don't they don't want to acknowledge that it happens all the time. They don't want to acknowledge that like they're part of the problem. So they just kind of put up this buffer saying, like, oh, well, it's over there, not here. But it's a national problem because, I mean, our police system literally came out of of slave catchers. Like, the original, like, the purpose of the sheriff was to catch runaway slaves. And
0: And people are like, what? They're racist? No, they're not. Like Like,
1: they are absolutely the found. They are racist down to the core. Their foundation is built literally on the backs of black people. And it has not changed since what the 1800s. It hasn't changed at all. Like in the 1800s, you had a slave catcher. Um slave would run away, slave catcher would take them in, force them into working, and now, instead of putting them on a plantation, we're they're rounding up black people and putting us in prisons and forcing us to do prison labor, yeah, for cents on the dollar, yeah, so it really has not changed that much, yeah. And people just don't want to acknowledge that. They don't want to acknowledge that we... That there are issues that they are directly involved in. Which makes sense. But are you really... Like, they're really going to let this sense of... I don't want to do have anything to do with this. They're going to let that get in the way of actual people's lives. And I think that... That also ties into the dehumanization of black people. And it's, and. I am not one to ever disregard race. So I'm definitely not disregarding race. But prison- there's an issue of dehumanization in- of prisoners in general. Mm-hmm. Namely because majority of the prisoners are black. So it kind of makes people okay with prisoners working for cents on the dollar because i guess they've broken rules but like there are people in prison who are there because they couldn't pay their parking tickets or yeah. like yeah there are people in prison who like not everybody who goes to prison is a violent offender not everybody who goes to prison is of a, a danger most yeah. of these people are just people who couldn't pay for something
0: yeah I mean, right now in Hurricane Harvey, uh, the m- meme is going around again, which I'm glad to see it again, of side by side photos a black kid holding food taken from a grocery store, and then a couple of white people holding food taken from the grocery store, and the two headlines that go along with it. The headline said, like, one, um, uh, like, Somebody's re- Like somebody looting, looting through the looting store, through and, store the and the other one, one is like, it. they found some food in a grocery store. Yeah, they, they found it. Wow. So the idea is, criminality doesn't have any basis in action at all. Like criminality is based just in whatever it needs to be to keep our society staying the way people like it.
1: Yeah, and it it contributes. The people in power want to stay in power whether they know it or not. Yeah. So these systems were set up so that honestly that a lot of these people who do hold power don't know that they hold that power. So they mm. can't be cha- so nobody can challenge them on it because they don't even know that they hold it.
0: It's uh, pretty clever.
1: Yeah. I mean those Old-ass white dudes in the 1700s may not have known what a germ was, but they managed to set up this insidious system. Yeah. So, I mean, props, I guess?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, people like to think of reform or change or that the country's getting better and better. But' it's like if you look at the very basis of the country, the country is based in the idea that the only people who are actual humans are wealthy, property-holding men. And like those are the people who are human and get to have rights. And it's still that's a seed of the bake, the, of our country that's just like baked into the very fabric of a constitution. And as much as you can try and reform it, it seems like it'll always come back around to the seed that you planted, which is where we're at now, where who is in power? Yeah. Just a man known for his property who's white, and he literally has no other claim to that position of power. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. So it's like it hasn't gone away because that's it, it can't go away because it's the basic building block of what made this country defi- defined how it defined itself. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: that's why I'm kind of done with reform.
0: Yeah, I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it works.
1: Yeah, no, it's. It's been you know it's been a it's been a few years.
0: <laughs> We've been, been trying it out. We've
1: been trying it out for you know uh, since 1776. Yeah hasn't been working out so well, so maybe it's time to just kind of ditch that. And, yeah, and people
0: say, Well, things have gotten better in this way, in this way, in that way. It's like things have gotten better for who in this way, in this way, in that way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like the only big change is now it is not entirely legal for any old person to buy me, but that's it. And
0: They just have to launder you.
1: That is a low, low bar. (laughs) That is a very low bar.
0: That's a very low bar. Yep. Yep. And it's not even... It really is basically just... You just have to launder your slaves now. Yeah. Put them through a different hoop. Yeah. Instead of holding the deed. Yeah, it's pretty fucked.
1: Yeah.
0: mean, about cop brutality here in Eugene?
1: Um... Caught brutality here in Eugene. Um, So I personally have not been brutalized by police in any of my interactions. I'm
0: glad
1: to hear that. I've been, I've definitely like been intimidated by them. Like they have definitely used their tactics to try to intimidate me. But thankfully I had some great lawyers on my side. Um, I'm not going to talk t- about that, especially on something that's recorded. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good idea. but... Good idea. Um, it is definitely an issue here. Like, I think about a year and a half ago, um, the president of Eugene's NAACP chapter, his sister was beat down by some of Eugene police, some of Eugene's cops. Really? Yeah. So, like, it's definitely not an isolated issue like it's everywhere
0: yeah i had a pretty shitty experience with the cops here in eugene myself um so we have a really cool um group of people called cahoots yeah i like cahoots yeah And actually i only figured this story out this story didn't make any sense to me for a long time until i had just talked to you like last weekend um so we have CAHOOTS. CAHOOTS is who you can call for mental health crises instead of the cops, which is awesome because we need those services because cops should not be dealing with people in mental health crises. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but they're still dispatched by the police. So you have to go through the police. Yeah. So, like, because of what happened to me, I thought CAHOOTS was just badly trained cops, and I didn't want to call them or deal with them, and I had a really, really negative feeling about them and it turns out that what actually happened is that I wasn't dealing with cahoots, I was dealing with the cops. Because you told me that there's like because it goes through the police department, there's like secret code or whatever where they, they first screen to see if somebody's a threat. Right. Yeah. Right? Okay, so like, what happened to me is I'm in I'm in a relationship. I was going very badly at that moment. Like very badly and uh, I identified with this guy it, he's threatening to kill himself And things are getting really bad And he just like walks out of the house And I can't calm him down I think it, he really might at that moment um, I'd heard about Cahoots So I call Cahoots I didn't realize that it was di- they were dispatched Through the cops or whatever And I'm just kind of like freaking out And they say, okay, cool, whatever, we'll send somebody um, And it turns out What happened Now I understand this better Is that they didn't send Cahoots Something I said had, like, registered him as a threat, and they just sent a cop, and the cop finds him on the street, like, yanks him off the street, slams him into the police van, handcuffs him, and, like, he's already distraught, right? Yeah. He's and then just holds him, and the cop calls me back and, like, oh, uh, he doesn't seem like a threat. We, I can't keep him. And I was like, What? What do you mean? Like, what? Because I thought that there was going to be somebody that came and, like, talked him down or therapy or whatever. I didn't really know what was going to happen. Right?
1: But not that. <laughs> but
0: not not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like, f- basically physically assaulted, handcuffed, when he's already, like, super upset. And then, so they just release him into the wild after totally escalating him. Oh, okay. God. Right? And now I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm totally freaked out. Now he's off feeling even worse. And thank God he did come home, right? However, he came home mostly because he was mad that I'd called the cops on him. So he basically came home to yell at, uh, yell at me a bunch about having called the cops on him, which was not my intention. So, like, in this situation, a situation that was, like, you know, shitty turn into a situation that could have been potentially deadly had a certain few other different things happened. Right. I mean, one, um, he could have been deemed a threat early on. And if we had been, you know, if he'd been black or if he'd been louder or whatever, maybe they would have just shot him. That's the thing that happens in America. Yeah. So that could have happened. One, two, he could have been released and then immediately gone and killed himself. That's totally a believable scenario. Or three, Um, if we had been in a physically abusive situation, he could have come home and killed me. Like, luckily, we weren't at that point or anything, and he's a sweet guy, but that's the thing, is that he was so mad about having the cops called on him because it's such a, like, horrific experience. I've never seen him like that. I had never seen him like that, so I can only imagine that somebody in a position similar to me, who's in a worse situation, in, like, a physically abusive situation, would have, that interaction with the cops would have put me at serious risk, So it's like, and I didn't even want them there. And like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, that's only, you know, one personal interaction that is like, you know, I'm white and, you know, luckily everything turned out just fine. But people, especially sort of in my demographic and middle class and stuff, don't ever see or understand how cops just always seem to make situations worse. You know what I mean? Like you were talking about that how they just pretty much inevitably always escalate a situation, right?
1: It's because they all they just they want action. Like that's why so many people join the police force, is because they see they watch TV, they see these like cops bussing down doors, catching bad guys, so they go into it with this idea of, yeah, I gotta be a badass. I get to be this like badass TV cop, and then They try to find excitement, in, for lack of a better term, in these situations. And, you know, if they can't find it, they'll create it. Or they'll act as if there's some excitement in the situation, even though it's completely unjustified. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: like, yeah, he was walking down the street being probably quietly stormy upset. And that requires you to, like physically restrain, like it's just like so yeah. over the top. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Why do so many people, I think maybe like liberals and people who are not, haven't ever seen the cops in action in the way that they suck in action. Yeah. Um, it's scarier to think of a society that is out of control and can't imagine how it, you know, assuming that cops are doing the thing that supposedly society needs them for. How do you manage that? And that's a question... When I say I'm an anarchist, people all the time like, well, what, how do you do... What do you do if you don't have cops? You know?
1: Survive a lot better. <laughs> like, <now>. I... <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 It's that's the thing. It's sort of the thing is like, well, what else... You, you know, we, all, we can't do anything else about it. So what are you going to do? It's like, if something is really, really going... Working badly... In, or like not working or deadly like actually literally killing people then um the question is not like well we don't have another option the thing is like well we need to fucking do something different immediately because it's like such a privileged thing to be like oh well yeah but what else what's you gonna do like what else are you gonna do like you don't you know what i mean yeah it's like obviously not this
1: yeah <laughs> like, like, this
0: not this <laughs> we need to figure something out yeah you know what i mean So, yeah. How do you, mean, how do you educate people? Like, what?
1: Um, well, I try to kind of just tackle it from the most straightforward perspective that I can. Just being like, all right, so the founding fathers were terrible people. They were giant assholes. They're the ones who built the society. They're the ones who laid the foundation for the society. And when you build on that, the rest of it is going to be tainted by that no matter what.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I try to... Whenever I try to educate people, I try to, like, provide resources and, like, kind of point them in the right direction. And the only way that works is if they're willing. Mm. And, like, I can't make them willing. I'm I'm brown. Like, they're not going to want to listen to me. Like, I'm not a relatable character for them. Mm. The only way they know black people or brown people is, like, by racist caricatures in the media. And, like, that's not me. So, obviously, they're not going to listen to me because I'm not talking about fun stuff. I'm not talking about it being lit. I'm not talking about partying. I'm not talking about drug shit or whatever they like to portray us as. Hmm. So they're not going to listen to me. That's why I like to have... I like to kind of point white allies in the directions and then have those white allies do the legwork. Because A, I'm tired. And B... I, it won't make any difference if i do it.
0: I hear that a lot just i'm tired cuz it's just
1: yeah, i'm tired. I'm exhausted. I am constantly exhausted of having to defend my humanity at every point and i'm just tired. So y'all do y'all do that work. I i know that it doesn't work for me to do it. I'm not going to further exhaust myself for a fruitless effort. So... But I do... That's why I, like, have other... That's why I try to, like... Like, whenever I, um... Kind of, like, I'll do... Um... I've done... a Gender sensitivity... Well, not, like, gender sensitivity training, but, like, I was on a panel for, um a bunch of mental health professionals who wanted to learn about navigate, about how non-binary people navigate the mental health um, industry. So I'll, I try to hold like little, I don't like calling them trainings because like, you can't, you don't, you don't train someone to be decent. Like, (laughs) It, I, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable that, like, decency has to be trained. Mm. But I'll do little, I guess, seminars mm. about um, racism and, like, gender-based discrimination, especially towards trans people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm fine with holding those is because the only people who go to them are the people who are actually willing to hear about it and are willing to learn from it. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. So, I kind of just... I'll, like, tell a few people, organize a place, and then I'll do something. Or people are more than welcome to call me and be like, Hey, I'll give you, like, 50 bucks if you will talk to these people about... Basic decency.
0: (laughs) Should I be paying the people that come on my show?
1: That's a good question. I don't know.
0: I don't have any funding right now, but if that's that's something I should think about.
1: I mean, yeah, that would be a really good thing to think about, especially for like people of color. Because like Mm -hmm. this is stuff that we talk about all the time and it's stuff that we're constantly thinking about. Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, I'm just doing it because I, like, wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really
0: glad to have you here.
1: (laughs) Me too. I'm glad. I love doing little interviews like this. I love having... It's very, very beneficial to have a platform. Because one thing I like saying is um, a lot of people like to talk about... um, um speaking like you got to speak up for people of color like no you don't you just have to pass the mic that's it yeah so yeah that's why i really like platforms like this
0: that was one of the ideas of this show is to you know anarchists no platforming making sure that we people that we don't want to have a platform don't and then i'm thinking you know we also want to be doing just active platforming of people that we do want yeah in society so um yeah i'm really happy to have you on and to have other people who need a platform to have a platform so send people my way too yeah definitely yeah um yeah it'd be cool if like every time we took a nazi took away a nazi platform we gave that platform to like a trans person of color
1: yeah that would be tight
0: yeah it'd be really cool
1: a lot of, uh, one really great kind of cyber activism thing that's happening is like a lot of Nazis are losing their websites and their <laughs> yeah, domains. Yeah, it's
0: awesome. It's great. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, the Stormfront one, there's a just a, a um, in, I think Antifa United had a screenshot or something of the Stormfront DNS server being down. That's just been going around everywhere because yeah. it's so satisfying to just look at this blank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ha. ha, ha. Fuck you! Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, it's cool how the digital community is finally kind of stepping up to take away these platforms. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's good. We talk a lot about needing more. Like, what other what other kind of platforms are there that need to be given?
1: Um, media on the internet is probably the most important one. Because that's the most furthest reaching and the most impactful and the one with, like like I said, most impactful, the one with the most viewers. Like, everybody goes on the computer and, like, reads a thing on CNN or, like, yeah. everybody has their favorite podcast that they go and download. Yeah. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: internet media is very, very important. Social media has played an absolutely integral role in activism, actually. Because, you know, when Facebook doesn't delete those videos... Right. um, That's a big platform for people to film their experience, like, physically film their experiences happening right in front of them Mm -hmm. and upload it and let people watch it from their point of view. Like, actually... From their from,
0: like, point yeah. of view, yeah, totally. So that's powerful, yeah, yeah. Especially when you, like they talk; people are talking. You can hear them. So yeah. It's like it's their voice, in their eyes. Yeah, that's interesting. I do not really thought of it quite like that. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Twitter is fun because you can tweet directly at people in a way like some like anybody, like any person, random person can say something clever like at the New York Times, and it can go totally viral. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Because, fuck the New York Times. <laughs> Let's throw that in there. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, platforms. I mean, right now it's still so segregated, though. It seems like there's like the anarchist internet, and then there's, you know, there's like just like little pockets of information. That's the other thing with so much available platform. In some ways, it's become really segregated even more, and so people can stay in their own bubbles and only yeah. live in their own world. So, like, how do you, like, penetrate that? I think there are a lot of liberals that do want to know more. Yeah. just don't have access or know where to go, you know? It's, like, getting resources to people who do want to be, like, actively progressive or even, like, more radicalized from where they're at, you know? Um, Just, like, getting them resources, getting – because the way our society is so stratified is, like, people like you probably just aren't – have a harder time getting into a room with some people, you know, just, like, not Mm -hmm. even in the same physical space. Yeah. You know?
1: Like, I can't – I won't get invited or even – I won't even know about things that are happening because I'm not, like, rich or white or any other qualifier – which is why I like my my um, kind of my internet space because like it's mine and like if people want to come here and look at my stuff and like see what I have to say that's their choice and they're there because they want to be there mm-hmm. and that's why I like holding these seminars and panels because like the only people who are going to go there are the people who actually want to hear it yeah and then they're the ones who can go out. And talk to other people about it. Yeah. And they can be like, look, here's some resources that I learned. You should use these too.
0: Well, since I, the podcast goes out to sort of a interesting random group of folks, my, my audience is an interesting mixture, I think, of people. Uh, like, what would you, what would you have them do? Like, if, as if this was a seminar right now, like, what are some key points to get out to the type of audience that i have on my podcast which is a lot of white people i think yeah and like a lot of people who are sort of new to radical radical scene stuff yeah so
1: you know honestly one of the biggest things that i can tell white people right now is confront your racist family members like i don't care that you're gonna ruin thanksgiving people's lives are ending like like your uncle chad if your uncle chad says something super transphobic call him out on it like you're not in a you're in a position where like that doesn't affect you as a human Mm -hmm. like you it doesn't affect your humanity like go for it like do that work because like if we have to shoulder what comes from that type of thinking you can shoulder your family blaming you for ruining christmas like it's it's an easy thing to do and it's one of the quickest things to do and they're people they're your family i don't know everybody's family dynamics but they're your family and you need to cut their oppressive behavior right at the root as soon as it happens Mm -hmm. because that is what violence physical real world violence is rooted in Mm -hmm. whether you want to draw that connection or not it doesn't matter if you draw that connection or not because it exists yeah like it it exists whether you believe it or not yeah so
0: it's weird i have a couple uncles who are seemingly very progressive in lots of ways and then are really transphobic Yeah, it's
1: (laughs) yeah. Ruin Easter. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck up Thanksgiving. Go for like, go for it. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay, (laughs) I will. I will.
1: Like, I mean, with how many family gatherings I've ruined with my like foreign Indian family, like, go for it. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You'll be fine. And then, because your family, it might actually sink in. Yeah, right. Makes sense. <sighs> yeah, it's one of the it's it's one of the things as a um, I re- try to remember as a white activist is like a white radical is that sometimes when I feel scared or feel uh, like something's really hard to do or uncomfortable, it's like yeah, but imagine just. What, how I'm feeling versus how somebody who's being directly affected by this is actually feeling, you know, and staying humble in that mind space. Like, yeah, if if I feel like afraid right now, it's like, I don't know anything about fear. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's just speaking to my white audience about doing that kind of thing and feeling uncomfortable. It's like, just, that's just always remember that what your comparatively your uncomfort level is to what what other people are that um that you're you know standing up for are feeling yeah you know
1: it's really important to have that perspective yeah like a perspective of if this is how i'm feeling imagine how other people who are who are actually real world affected by this
0: mm-hmm The Allyship Industrial Complex is something that I was reading a, a little bit on. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have thoughts?
1: Um Yeah, I mean, they're very basic thoughts, like it just it's something that once again it rewards white mediocrity like these white people get paid thousands of dollars to just be like hey gay rights and then boom they're like $3000
0: who uh, is just by like speaking fees or
1: yeah just like speaking fees by um donations mm. all that stuff like they just they it it glorifies white mediocrity.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people who, with good intentions, a lot of white people, liberal people with money, with good intentions, that just want to throw their money at something. And they, then it it gets thrown at other white people.
1: Yeah. Like, no, if you, like, and that's the thing. Like, if you have money and you really want to help, like, my Venmo is Petty McBetty. Go for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, that's honestly the best way to help people is like, like, oh, Lord, there was this person. Oh, I don't, I don't know if he's going to listen to this podcast, but um, he was like, hey, I have a bunch of, like, leftover money this month. Um, what's a good disability charity that I should donate to. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like there's your roommate who's a disabled woman. There's me. There are like actual disabled people who can't make money that need money to survive that you should be giving your money to. And you honestly have the balls to ask on social media about Charities that you can donate to, like, when you could just easily find people on your Facebook friends list within your community that need that help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, that is on some real bullshit.
0: That's what people are saying, too, about, right now, the donations for Hurricane Harvey. And people's giving all of their money to these big NGOs that have huge amounts of overhead costs. And then it's like, if you gave, you know any portion of that to people who are actually just directly on the ground or actually affected, like how much good could be done if that money just got directly to people who needed it. And
1: that's the thing. You Literally know? all you have to do is Google hurricane Harvey, you caring hurricane Harvey, go fund me. And you can find families who've set up these donation sites mm-hmm. and you can donate to them directly.
0: Mm-hmm. Or there's like actual community organizations that are just actual community that are on the ground doing actual things. Yeah. Instead of these giant administrative fee-based groups. Yeah. Just because people know the name Red Cross. But that's exactly it. In this day and age, it's like, you know, before, before internets and GoFundMe and all these things, maybe you needed to give money to the Red Cross because they're the ones who knew how to put money places. But at this point, it's like you really literally can just hand money to the people who need it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, that's kind of what I want to start doing with SoJust. Yeah. Yeah. Is I want us to kind of be like, like I want people to donate money to us so that we can distribute it to people in our community with need. Yeah. And that's one thing that I talked about at that potluck mm-hmm. is like, I want to start, I want to like open up donations for so just to a community fund mm-hmm. to give to people in need or to like use it to buy... Food for people in need, or to buy clothes for people in need, and all like whatever people in our community that are most marginalized need,
0: I think that's a good idea the I think the one of the reasons people don't want to do that and just like give out money is because it's not vetted and they're worried about scammers, which is a real thing, oh, yeah, you know what I mean so it's like need need somebody some sort of intermediary that they trust to vouch for where that money is going. So mm-hmm. I guess people go to like the Red Cross cuz they know that well I know the Red Cross, I, they I they will do good things with that money supposedly. You know what I mean? So um, how do you, you, know, how do we gain the trust of people with money so they don't feel like they're being scammed? You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's that's kind of the one of the difficult problems you know people just will trust the big name
1: yeah and honestly I don't know how to get them to trust us
0: yeah hmm.
1: I guess like the more people that work with like for so just case specifically is I guess the more people who work with us the more people will spread word about it and be like hey these people are actually doing some pretty good work so help them
0: well, I think this is where people with privilege need to step in too. Is yeah. because like people do listen to me, you know, because I have I have privilege, you know. Um, I'm white and middle class, and that privilege shows up in different ways more than just the way I look, but also in sort of can be the way I talk or approach people or whatever. Like there's all different types of privilege and um, and so other people in the same position as me can work as intermediary vouchers for these groups. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I hope other people will do that, you know? Because yeah. it works. It's, um... It works.
1: Yeah. No, that's part of allyship work. Yeah. Using your privilege to get other people on board who otherwise wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, like, I guess it's so... Maybe a good allyship thing to do would be to find is fundraising, really. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, because like nobody wants to give money to like a poor brown twenty-something.
0: Well, I mean, they do just through a rich white person,
1: but then they're not donating it to the poor brown person. In their mind, they're donating—they're donating it to a well-known, trustworthy white person because right
0: that's they're right.
1: obviously going to trust white people with their money more than they would trust me right like which is just how it works like that it's part of the insidious system
0: yeah it's pretty unsexy i think fundraising feels unsexy to people it's that's like,
1: also true there's no appeal to it
0: yeah yeah i think it can be fun I don't know. I've had, I, I think I want to do some more fundraising type work. I had some fun doing some fundraising recently for, um, um, the Rose City Antifa did a thing based in the Rex gig and Rex model, which now is taking off, which is cool. I'm seeing it more places, which is great. I'm glad they're the, that's, they're the first person or group that I saw do something of that. And now I'm seeing other, other people around the country do this, which is awesome. It's the idea of making oppression backfire Via putting a dollar amount on racist activity.
1: Oh. Right?
0: So, like, it came from this little town in Bavaria where Hitler is from that has major Nazi problems. And they had these, like, Nazi marches go regularly, like, once a year, the same Nazi march. So, what Rex Gig and Rex did is they set up, um, uh, meant like a um, sponsorship. So, people would sponsor a Nazi per meter that they walked. <laughs> so, like, oh boy. <laughs> so, it's like, so then every meter that meters that the Nazi walked, they were actually raising money to fight Nazis.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: and then it was actually really funny. So they, like, put out markers and, like, they did all this encouragement for the marches and, like, the Nazis had no idea what was going on. They are like, giving them bananas. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, and they raised a shitload of money and it was, like, really fun. So they did manage to make fundraising, like, fun, which I think is something that we need to do. And so, like, um, Rose City and Tifa, they did a thing where um, they were raising money for the National Network of Abortion Funds. And they did that by going to a Joey Gibson rally, and every time they saw them do some sort of fashy creep thing, people pledged to donate a dollar amount for every time there was something fashy that went on at a Joey Gibson rally. And it turned out to be like 50 things or something, and they raised almost $700, and um, yeah, it was cool. Cool. And I think that kind of thinking and that kind of model and being uh, creative with the fundraising, it can actually be fun. Like, it doesn't have to be a total drag. If you're doing it in sort of the liberal model of just sort of, like, asking people for money or trying to, like, you know, be, like, you are shame people, trying to coerce or shame people into giving money, Well, we know as anarchists, shaming and coercion don't work. People don't like that, and people resist it, and people don't want to think about it. But I think there's a moment here right now where we have a lot of people who are genuinely good-hearted liberals that have cash, that don't know what to do with it, Like, if we can be clever and make it fun, we can get that cash into revolutionary spaces and back into the pockets of people of color. You know, if we can, like, be not just look at fundraising as, like, an obnoxious capitalist thing, even though it is, but see it as it's kind of a necessity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we really do need to be doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially people who have connections to the liberal community, white people. Are the ones that need to be taking up the reins of doing what could be really unsexy work of getting money, getting money to the people who need it. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And that's it's, really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't get a big, it seems like, you know, you don't get like a big allyship star for that because it's just like, you didn't, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem as fun, but I think that doesn't matter. So, so like, if so, just needs, I don't know. And I think it can be fun.
1: Yeah, I want. I would love to find a way to do a fun, do a like fun fundraiser with So Yeah, you should.
0: We should figure. Something yeah, out. Yeah,
1: that's something I should look into.
0: Yeah, no, I'd love to work on that. I'm like way into it.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. Um. Yeah. Um. We have like ten minutes left. Is there anything else that like that you want to get out to the world, or anything you want to talk about? It's your platform. Talk about whatever um, you want.
1: I kind of just want to repeat myself. Um, one of the biggest ways of fighting these oppressive structures is by calling it out when you see it. Mm-hmm. Call it out and educate as soon as you see it. Like I, like I tell it, I tell all my white friends: ruin Christmas, ruin Thanksgiving, turn it into a, a hellfire, <laughs> okay. D- raise hell. I don't care. It's too late. Like, y'all wasted enough time. Like, people are dying now. People are getting assaulted now. Call it out. Nip it in the bud. That's that's where all of this shit stems from. So you gotta cut it right then and there. Doesn't matter. Ruining Christmas isn't as bad as a trans woman getting bashed because a dude found out she was trans at the end of a date. Yeah. Like
0: it's like, people don't see that being like, well, you know, my racist uncle said an off color joke connected to like police brutality and murders, but it's the same like underlying.
1: Yeah. It's this, it's what it's just an offshoot of the same system. Yeah. So yeah, that's my final thought ruin every family holiday <laughs> okay just okay. fuck it up <laughs> fuck it up fuck
0: it up fuck shit up yeah yeah i mean we do have more time if there's anything else you want to talk about are you done
1: i'm done also my throat is starting to hurt okay. so okay. <laughs> i am i am done okay cool i have said pretty much everything i need to say awesome
0: thank you so much
1: yeah thanks for having me on the show
0: yeah we'll, we'll be in touch yeah okay all right bye All right, so we have reached the end of the show, which means it's time to count up my own instances of bad allyship to donate money to Aneka. I found 14, which included six times interrupting them, five times centering myself, two general insensitivity, and I'm going to count that last one as one performative allyship because I didn't need to say that on the radio. That means the suggested donation is $14, so white people... Their Venmo is at Petty McBetty, and their square cash is dollar sign Tupac's hologram. So go ahead and take whatever your pledge amount was, times it by 14, and go cough it up. Remember, think about every time that you have been knowingly or unknowingly racist, transphobic, or ableist. Consider that, and don't be cheap. I am giving you full permission to pour all of your guilt into Aneka's bank account. Okay, thank you so much. See you next week.